Okay, we have a lot to cover today, and so let's get right into it. The revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter number 13. This chapter is extremely important in laying out to us the different characters that play such a magnificent part in this day of judgment of our God. We're going to be considering the Antichrist and the false prophet. Also mentioned here is Satan himself, formerly Lucifer, having fallen from heaven. He was the highest rank angel in heaven. And Isaiah chapter 14 gives us the background concerning his fall there. Chapter 13 of the Revelation. Uh, and uh, before we read there, I want to read one Verse, And it says this, for the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Many will say, well, why are we dealing with prophecy? Why are we looking into the future, into places in which if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will not enter. You will not be here. Well, if all we're doing is looking to future events, we've missed the point completely. What we're looking is to see the glory of the Son of the living God. The last man standing. That's what it's all about. And part of that is this revealing of the future before the future is ever really made our reality. What a tremendous advantage we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 1, chapter number 13. And I stood upon the sands of the sea and saw the beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. This ain't a good guy. You can know that right away. Ain't no good guy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as, uh, as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. That dragon is referred to over in chapter 12, and that dragon is Satan himself. And so we have these three entities which I believe are describing the three great world powers. We have Babylon, Medo-Persia, and then Greece. And then Rome. And Rome never died. And it's coming back with a vengeance. And the one who will be the head of that is the one whom we're speaking of this morning. He's not calling shots. We still have a sovereign God on a sovereign throne. But I'll tell you, the, the Antichrist is going to show his presence in the days to come. And it says in verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like unto... Excuse me, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wandered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Now, Bible scholars will recognize those words. 
because they ring through eternity. And they keep piercing and insulting the, 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 the man who's behind all this, Satan himself. Because that's what the nation of Israel cried out as they were there being pulled out of Egypt. And they praised their God and said, who is like our God? And Satan said, one day, one day, those words will ring out to my glory. Those words will ring out. And show me as the only God on this earth. Because that's exactly what Satan desires. Who is like unto the beast? And finally, Satan got his way. Verse number 6. And he opened his mouth. In blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Whose, name are, uh, whose names are not written in the book of life, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Verse number 10, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints, the Antichrist, often, often uh, thought of as being against Christ, Antichrist. The actual term, uh, it, it goes a little bit further than that. It really means instead of Christ. The Antichrist wanted to stand instead of Christ. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 14, the Antichrist's father... Satan himself, identified here as the dragon, he himself wanted to stand in the place and replace God. To put down God. This is what it says. I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of, not the heavens, the stars of God. You see, that's why the Antichrist, when it says Antichrist, it does mean against Christ. Absolutely. That's almost uh, goes without saying. But the actual term means instead of Christ. I want to replace Christ. I want to put Christ out of commission. And I want to sit on the throne of the universe. What an audacious individual we have. What an unbelievably haughty individual we have. And yet the world is setting up for the Antichrist. Let me show you this. Last week, our New York Stock Exchange went through a tremendous whirlwind. Down it went. Down to the point where it, 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 it alarmed those who were watching the numbers. Does anybody know why? China. That's correct. Did you say China? 
You get credit too. But that should alarm us, you see. It wasn't because of our economy here in the United States was out of control and we couldn't get it under control. And all of a sudden the stock market went wild. It was because of China. What are we becoming? A one world economy. Very quickly. And then the only conclusion to that, once this thing has amalgamated and it is nearly there, China rocked New York. This week. Once this thing gets coagulated together, it's like taking a bunch of ingredients and putting them in a stew pot and whipping them up and letting the heat do its perfect work, bringing them all together. We're going to have one world economy. And what is that going to cry out for? A one world government. We're already hearing the little noises in the trees. You know what we need to do? You know what we need to do to defeat, defeat ISIS? We need to come together. Let me tell you, folks, if you can't see this, then you need to loose the blinders from the eyes and let them fall to the earth and recognize that our God reigns. And he's going to reign. And his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is going to be the last man standing. And this man, this audacious, haughty, prideful, unbelievably, what he says, they'll worship me. That's what he said. I want them to worship me. Oh, my. In the face of God Almighty, our God. He reigns. Ten kings. It talks about the ten horns. It talks about uh, 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 the, the ten, the seven kings. That's always been a sticky point with the, with the scholars. What, what he's talking about, the seven kings. Very difficult to identify. I would say the best explanation I've ever gotten is that of the Roman Empire. We had five kings that were there before John. There was one that was there during his writing. His name was Domitian. And then there was one to come. Hmm. That's the Antichrist. And he's going to rule the revived Roman Empire. And it will be drawn out of Europe, drawn out of other areas. They're all going to come together as one. Is it, is it the United Nations? I don't know. But this I do know. Our God means... Our God reigns. That's the Antichrist. He wants to be upon the throne. Remember how he came in? He came in in peace. He came in in peace and 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 he kind of deceived the people. And and we're gonna we're gonna see this all out as it comes out all the way to the end. You're gonna see the 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 absolute knowledge of who this man really is and what his ends are. And his ends are as evil as they ever could be. And so we have in in verse number 1 through 10, we have the Antichrist. And then we have 11 through 18, you have the false prophet. The false prophet. The, The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 16, If I go, I I'm going to leave you a comforter. 
I'm going to leave you a helper. I'm going to leave you someone who can come alongside as you pick up the Word of God and enlighten you as to what is being said in the Word of God. I'm going to give you someone who you can walk with, who you can talk with, someone who can guide you. He is not coming in His own name. He is there to to exalt the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. And so what we have here is a complete duplication of the Trinity of, of, of God the Father. We have God the Father. We have God the Son. And we got God the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't even want to go here because it, it doesn't even... I don't feel like it even is good to even say it. But they're trying to duplicate that Trinity. You have Satan himself. You have the Antichrist. And now you have the false prophet. And let's read about the false prophet. This is what the false prophet is all about. And I beheld, this is verse number 11 of verse, uh, chapter 13. We've got to move quickly. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like unto a lamb. Isn't that amazing? Now we have the, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. Lambs don't have horns. But this one does. Oh, yes, it's, it, he wants to imitate, you see, the Lamb of God. Now, he's the Holy Spirit. He's imitating the Holy Spirit, the actions of the Holy Spirit. But this is what it says. Uh, he is a beast with two horns, like a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the powers of the first beast before him. And causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So his objective here is not to amplify himself or to draw attention to himself. His objective here is to draw attention to the Antichrist. Look at this guy. He's special. You worship him. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God does in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been given all creation by God the Father, has been given all place. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And so we have this false prophet whose job is to amplify the, uh, the Antichrist. And then it says in verse, uh, uh, and he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast who, whose deadly wound was healed. Now you go back to this deadly wound that is healed. It's back when we are, we're introduced to the Antichrist. He has a wound, a mortal wound that is healed. Now someone, some people uh, will go as far as to say that, well, this is the Roman Empire. This is a revived Roman Empire. This is, uh, they were dead, now they're, they're alive again. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Not at all. Let me tell you what. He talks about the deadly wound that is healed. Here, it talks about the deadly wound that was healed in, I believe, chapter 17. It talks about the deadly wound that is healed three times here. Over and over and again, it's amplified. Again, this, this unholy trinity is a mockery. They are trying to imitate all that God the Father is doing. What did God the Father do? He sent His Son to this earth to die in the place of mankind. And that Son rose again on the third day. So this, this unholy entity wants to duplicate. He wants to imitate. He wants to draw attention to Himself. He wants to convince the kings of the earth that He is all that. And that he's worthy of their following him. And so he duplicates the resurrection. I believe it is physical. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. 
Now, you can't go so far as to say he completely rose again because, you see, the only one that has the power to rise or give life is God. So I believe what they did is they, they pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. Here's what they did. And they had everyone convinced that that's what took place when it really did, never did take place. But that's the objective, you see, to amplify this man called Antichrist. Verse 13, and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, that is to the Antichrist, uh, which has a wound by a sword. There's another uh, a description of what had happened earlier. Uh, this one Antichrist was wounded and then he came alive again. And so <clears throat> what he encourages them to do was to make a giant statue. Now, that should draw to mind, Bible scholars should draw that to mind, that we go back to Daniel chapter 2 and that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan doesn't work. Uh, uh, let's try a different plan here. Let's try a different strategy. Let's go a different direction with this. No, he keeps repeating the same stuff over and over and over again. And so they build this ginormous uh, statue under the Antichrist. And, and then they were, they were called to worship that statue, right? Uh, like I say, there's nothing new under the sun. And then he, he, he gives the power, to, or he opens the mouth of the statue, and the statue begins to speak. Now, when it says in, uh, I believe it's uh, what, uh, Second Thessalonians, where it talks about strong delusion, strong delusion, there's going to be a strong delusion sent that is going to convince the people that this guy is for real. These are the kinds of things that are going to draw away men. You know what? The Lord Jesus Christ said, I came to you in my Father's name, and you didn't accept me. But there's one coming in His own name. Him you will accept. Isn't that amazing? And so they're going to set up this giant image, and there the giant image is, and they're going to be caused to worship that image. And I would say as the, the time draws on, that will, that will be a voluntary thing, and that will suddenly become mandatory that you worship that image. Just like it was in Nebuchadnezzar's days. I believe that's going to take place. And then he's going to give the power to that image to speak. Now, we don't know what else. If this image could speak, could it move? We don't know. Uh, maybe it did a nice little jig, dance or something, you know? That'd be pretty convincing. You've got something that towers 45, 50, 60 feet, and all of a sudden this thing made of, of materials that can be identified by mankind begins to speak to mankind. That can be pretty convincing. That's the kind of delusion that is going to be perpetrated upon mankind as they're on this earth. Friends, the time is now. The time is now to take the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you will not be subjected to this. Because you're gone. You're gone already. <clears throat> and then we go on and it says this, uh, verse number 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So I, I believe, I personally believe that not only did this beast speak and had the ability to speak, but it probably moved around 
and he just convinced everybody within eye shot. And of course, we we have you know we got we've got all our media in, in focus, so they've got to focus on this thing, and the whole world is seeing this. What possibly could be a dancing image, dancing to the glory of the Antichrist? You see, and all would bow to. This image, verse number 16, he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, and bond to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell save they have the mark of the beast. Now, three weeks ago, someone got a hold of my social security number. <clears throat> got a hold of my social security number, my address, and my name. That's all they needed. They went to town. Sat down on a computer, and they opened what I believe is about nine credit cards in my name. And uh, the credit cards, well, they came to my address. And my address. They came to my address. I got a Burdines. I got uh, all these credit cards started coming in. And, and my wife had already gone through this. So I kind of, she was kind of up to date. She knew what was going on. And uh, they put a freeze on my number. What? I have no idea what they do. But let me ask you this. How can it be that, that we've got people that can sit on a PC and open credit cards? That's crazy. I've got an idea. Why don't we hide a chip in your hand? And, and now when you sit, you can still do it at your PC, no problem. We pick up a type of an instrument and you can scan it over that chip to verify that the person behind that PC is truly Aaron Renth and not some clown opening up credit cards. You can see where we're going with this thing. This is, this is like a no-brainer. I mean, if, listen, it, let's, let's talk about the mark of the beast back in the 1940s. It, it, is, there, is there any relevancy to that then? Is there any relevancy to it now? Friends, we're this close to heaven's door. We're the, and, and if you're out there and you're thinking, I don't know if I believe all this stuff. I've heard this so many times. Be careful. Be careful if you keep hearing it and it does nothing to you. Be careful. We'll go into that in, in just a minute. But does he imitate by giving them the mark? It's the Antichrist who implements this whole system. By the way, the system's already implemented. He doesn't have to invent nothing. No wheels have to be invented here. They're already out there. So we do it with dogs. We do it with dogs so we can do it with human beings. We just haven't gotten there yet because it looks awful remarkably like what you're reading here in the Revelation chapter 13. And they're very hesitant to do that. But soon they will. Soon they will. Mark... My word. Don't mark my hand or my forehead, but mark my word. That's exactly, that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, was it an original idea by Satan? No, you go back to the seventh chapter of the book of the Revelation, you find out that that 144,000 were marked. Marked. And the words there indicate a physical mark. They were marked with the mark of God. So he said, oh, you can mark them. Hmm. Well, I can mark them too. And there we go. No original thinking. This guy has very little original thinking. Most of it comes as he imitates the Godhead in, in heaven above. And now, 
chapter 16. We've got to move quickly. Chapter 16 picks up where chapter 9 left off. We have uh, 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 the seals, seven of them. We have the trumps, seven of them. And then we have the vile judgments. And now with, with chapter 16 and then chapter 18 and then chapter 19, we're getting into the last phase of that last three and a half uh, years. By the way, when it talks about the three and a half years, three and a half years, three and a half years, talks about it in Daniel, talks about it in Revelation, all over the Bible, it is the most documented time period in all the Bible. It is measured by days. It is measured by months. It is every, every which way you can measure the thing, it comes up three and a half years. So there is a midpoint, and that midpoint marks uh, uh, when the covenant that uh, the Antichrist is made with the nation of Israel and the nations around them is broken, and the Antichrist begins to reveal just exactly who he is and his intentions. And they are not good. They are not good. What is the Antichrist doing? Let's think about it for just a moment. He's carrying out the will of the sovereign God of heaven who reigns. That's what he's doing. Every ounce of it. To the point of luring the nations, luring the the armed forces of all the world, luring them into this valley called Megiddo for the big kill. He lures them in. It's the Antichrist that lures him in. It's the false prophet that lures him in. On what pretense? I think we can win. I really think, in my delusional mind, that we got a shot at this. And so do the kings. As they come up. What are they doing? What is the Antichrist? What is the false prophet doing? They're carrying out the sovereign will of God. Chapter number 16. We get into the final seven judgments, and they are horrific. Jeremiah calls it the Great Tribulation. The rest is called the Tribulation. Oh, it's no picnic. Friends, if you think that's a picnic, if you think the first 14 are a picnic, don't look like no picnic to me. But this last seven are horrific. Four of these seven vile judgments or bowl judgments. The idea is a bowl that's full and being poured out on the earth like a judgment. Ooh, it's a frightening thing. It's frightening when you fall into the hands of a God of wrath and a God who has the right to reign and judge. I'll tell you, you don't want to be there. And so they're poured out. Chapter 16 and verse number 2, the first went. Chapter uh, 16 and verse number 3, the second angel poured out. Uh, Verse number 4, the third angel poured out. Verse number 8, the fourth angel poured out. Now, I want you to notice what happens in, in response to these judgments. Now, if you were pouring out this kind of wrath on me, And my whole world was just collapsing before me. Would you not pour your heart out in repentance to the sovereign God of heaven and change your mind? This is what they did. Chapter number 16 and verse number 9. And they blasphemed the name of God. That was their response. That was their response. 
uh, chapter 16 and verse number 11, and blasphemed the God of heaven. And then it goes about saying this. Listen to this. This is kind of a connector to 13. Watch this. This is the, the, the uh, sixth angel, chapter 16 and verse 12. And it says this in the 13th verse. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Remember what I said about he's going to eventually, as time rolls on, he's going to eventually uh, uh, manifest just how evil and unbelievably wicked he is. Well, this being the sixth uh, a bold judgment that's being poured out. You've only got one more left. And then basically that segues into the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing that I believe segues into the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is chapter 18. And we're going to look at that in just a few seconds. These things are they which happen at just before the Lord Jesus Christ comes out of heaven and makes his way down to this earth to set justice straight. In righteousness, he will judge. And he's right in doing it. Absolutely right in doing it. There's a glory in this book. There's a glory. You say, oh man, this book is full of horrible things that are happening and and unbelievable pain and suffering and, and anguish. There's a glory in this book. The glory is that he has the right to rule and reign. He has the right to judge. And that's what you're seeing here as you're seeing these bowls of judgment being poured out on the earth. Now, I just want to make something very, very clear here. There may be people in here that don't, don't know where I'm at. Where, where are you at? Is this going to happen tomorrow? Is this destined for Tuesday of this week? What is this? Now, listen, what happens here? Revelation chapter 1, the things that are past. Revelation 2 and 3, the things that are now. That's the churches. And he goes and he reviews the churches. That's where we're at today. That's why we take this thing very seriously as far as the church is concerned. Because we're going to be put on review. Mm. We're going to give an account, aren't we? And then in chapter 4, verse 1, there's something that happens. Uh, John is taken up to heaven. And that, I believe, pictures what we hear about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And that is the rapture of the church. We, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, if you've said yes to the fact that, you know, I am a sinner. I'm a God. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And you take the blood of the Lamb and you apply it to your heart. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, you're taken up. So are we going through this? Those that are a part of the church, those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can't assume that everyone has... Are they going to be going through this? No, they're gone. Guess what we're doing? We're being married to the Lord Jesus Christ, our great bridegroom. That, that one who is going to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to be bonded to him during this particular time. And then we're going to come down with him at his second coming. And we are going to be a part of that battle called Great Battle of Armageddon. By the way, that word Armageddon only appears one time in the Bible. One time in the Bible, in the 16th chapter of the book of the Revelation. Isn't it amazing how the world caught that? You can talk to someone who knows nothing about the Bible, has never read the Bible in all life, and you talk to him about Armageddon, and they caught that. Why did they catch that? Because 
Hollywood caught that. Hollywood caught that. Why are we seeing more and more movies that seem to smack against that whole principle of, of the, someone coming in and, and rescuing? Because we look around us in this world and we say, hmm, I need to be rescued. And if I don't need to be rescued quite yet, I know there's days coming when I'm going to have to be rescued. And that's why that's such a popular theme. And so we have this borne out. Chapter number uh, uh, 16 and verse uh, 13 it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. That was in the dragon, that was in the beast, and that was in the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them. So, see, this evil entities, this triad of evil, they're the ones that draw the nations and the armies into the valley of Megiddo. You say, well, God did that, didn't he? he well, God did that, sure, it's his sovereign will, but he uses these unholy entities to do his work. It's they that draw them into the battle, in, in, into the, uh, the battle of Armageddon. And then it says this, for there, uh, excuse me, uh, verse uh, number 16, it says, And he gathered them together into the place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. That's the only uh, place in the whole Bible where you're going to find the word Armageddon. And, and now what's happening is this. We're talking about the second coming of Christ, second coming of Christ, second coming of Christ, Old Testament, second coming of Christ. And now all of a sudden we are getting the location. Why? Because it's that close. It's that close. This is the bold judgments. And so after judgments, I believe the bold judgments are some of the last things that occur before the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And so we, we've got to figure out where this thing's going to take place. I mean, good, good planning tells you that, right? If you're going to have something, you've got to know where it's going to be. So there you've got the word, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his wrath upon the earth. And there were great hailstones in, 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 the, in the neighborhood of a hundred pounds apiece. And they pounded down on the earth. Can you imagine as you, you're watching the person standing next to you and bang, they get hit with a hundred. And down they go and, and they've got concussions and bleeding from the brain and they're just a mess laying there. That's the reality of what we see in this. And here's their response again. And the men blasphemed God. Be careful. We discussed this. Uh, we discussed this very, very recently on a, a probably. Oh boy, I don't know how I'm going to get through all this. But um, Romans chapter two. Just really quick, I want to read this one little portion. It says, "For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use." into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lusts one towards another. Men for men, working what which is unseemingly, and receive in themselves that recompense of their error. Now look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God and their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate... Mind. I, I just want to caution people. I, I want to caution people. We're going out on that beach because there are individuals with reprobate minds, right? And they're absolutely opposed to the gospel. There's, there's, there's a human being who will say no to 
news. No to the good news. No to the gospel. I will not have it. I will not have it. Time and time and time again. And then God says, okay. And now in a supernatural way, you are sealed for eternity. And destined for what we just described in the 16th chapter. And in the 13th chapter. And in the 14th chapter. All through the Revelation. It's a scary thought, isn't it? You mean to say that a person can say no too many times? There's a man named Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr lived when uh, 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 the, the United States uh, moved out, or the, the people of, of the United States wanted uh, freedom of religion, and they moved out of England, and they set up there. And Aaron Burr was considered uh, 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 a traitor to the United States government. And one day, Aaron Burr was sitting under the sound of the gospel, and he heard the gospel very, very clear. And it began to move his heart. It began to move his heart. But he, in all his pride, he fought it off. And he said to the living God, You leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. That's what he said. What was God's response? He left him alone. You see, there's a point in which these individuals in chapter 16 who were under the bold judgment say, how couldn't they have seen? They were pointing their finger to the heavens and they were blaspheming the God of heaven. How on earth could they do that? Their hearts were sealed supernaturally. There comes a time when a person says, no, 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 no. And the Lord says, okay, and he steps off to the side. He may not steal the, seal the heart, but he's not working with that individual anymore. And if there's that much rebellion against the gospel, an individual could actually end up in this predicament because of their rebellion against the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 18 then talks about the economic collapse. The economic collapse. I believe chapter 18 segues, if you read it, you read the chapter 18, I want you to read chapter 18, and you're going to see how it segues right into 19. Say, wait a second, 19? Well, 19 is is the second coming of the Lord, right? Uh, The reason why I believe that happens is because not only chapter 16, the bold judgments, they are going to be one of the last things before the second coming of the Lord. I also believe that chapter 18 is going to be one of the last things before the coming of the Lord. What is he going to do? He's going to pull the rug of our economic system right out from under the feet of the world. Chapter 18, it talks about um, the the commercial systems that, that... that we have going right now. And I, I already went through this. We, we, they're, they're so intertwined. We are not any longer nations with stock exchanges. We are nations with a stock exchange that is connected to all the other stock exchanges, whether it be the Nikkei or whether it be China or whatever it is, we are all connected. It is just a matter of time when they are going to turn and they're going to say, we need to get connected in leadership as well. The only way to get a handle on this thing is get it all under one umbrella. Whether it be the economic system, whether it be the military system, whether it be social, it doesn't matter. We've got to get it under one umbrella. And here, this is what's going to happen. The Lord is going to take the monies of the world and he's going to trash them. 
So what else is there to live for? <laughs> I mean, really? Take away my bank account? Really? I might as well die. But they that will be rich fall into temptations and snares and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction. You, 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 know what, you know what bemoans more men? And I'm talking about those who are actually saved sometimes. They've got a lot of what this world has to offer. You know what my suggestion to you is? Slowly let it go. And you know what it'll do? It'll cause you to look at your mortality and recognize I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. There's nothing that ties or binds me to this earth anymore. I'm convinced that's the way we can enjoy even the last few years of our life if we don't have all those entanglements. Let me tell you what. If you've got things that you can't get rid of, you can't let go, you know what the Almighty God is going to do. For those who are not saved, He's going to wrench them out of your hands because you will not take it. Money is a great servant, but a terrible master. Don't let it become your master. This chapter 18 is exactly what hones in on that idea. It's a, it's a great servant. You can use it to serve. You can use it to better the folk around you. You can use it. But there's a real fine line in the heart of man that divides it from servant and master. Watch, 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 you who have much. My wife says you don't have much to worry about, Aaron. (laughs) But watch, you who have much, because that fine line can be crossed over very easily. And all of a sudden, you are no longer using it as a servant. You are using it as your master. And now, when the Lord God of heaven decides your days are up, they were numbered, and the number is up, and you are taken home, (laughs) you're going to say, Lord, I have so much. (laughs) I just figured out that stock market. Those mutual funds, I just figured that market out. I'm just now making money. Please don't take me now. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. That's what chapter 18 is saying. What did the people of the the merchants of the earth, the merchants of the earth, they began to weep and mourn. What did they do in in the great fall of of the stock market when they began to open windows of the fourth story? My, My stocks are gone. My wealth is gone. What use is it? And they cast themselves out the window and ended up on the sidewalk down below. Let it go. Let it go. It ought not to be something that marks us out as human beings. It ought not to be. You say, well, it's okay to be rich, isn't it? As long as you know that line between servant and master. If you can keep that line 
in its proper context. There can be success with money. And then it segues right into chapter 19. And you're going to hear the very first term. Alleluia! You know that's not said in the rest of the Bible. This is it. This is it. Alleluia! (laughs) Wow! Praise the Lord. That's what it means. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it says this. For the true and righteous are his judgments. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth and her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants. And so you get, you get chapter 19 segueing off of chapter 18 and 17. It was the great whore that the beast was, was the beast of burden. He was carrying that whore, you know, and he was the one down below. And you know, in chapter 17, he actually moves his neck up as that beast and he locked onto that whore's neck and he ripped her down onto the ground. But chapter 18, who does the judging there? God does. God does. Check it out. It's not the Antichrist that does the judgment. It is God himself who judges the economic dependence that we have in our country today, and we are living on it. We are living on it. That's all they talk about. I've got my 401k. They're all ready to go. I turned 62. I'm in, baby. Oh, boy. I got my pension. You know, it's so ridiculous. It's unbelievable. What are you going to do? Carry it with you? This is what it says. <clears throat> I have to move quickly. Uh, verse number 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowl of the, that were flying in the midst of the heavens, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free, bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth that the beast had convinced to follow me, follow me. We can do it. We can do it. We, we can get him. And it says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. Praise God. Not an arrow shot. Not a punch flew. Not a gun released its bullets. Nothing. The beast was taken. This is the way it pictures, it seems, in heaven. That the beast and and the false prophet, they're there and they're standing before this one who has upon his uh, the, the horse, King of kings and Lord of lords, and they just dropped in their tracks. They dropped and they bowed to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not even a battle. All this is is a slaughter. That's all it is. They thought they could defeat the Son of God. I want to segue you forward just really quick. Really quick. Give me just a couple more minutes. Chapter 20. You have the millennium. 
That's the thousand-year period. That's when the Lord Jesus Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords, He has the right to rule and reign on this earth. And there is going to be justice, instant justice, instant righteousness. Everything is going to be according to His clock. But there is still sin on earth. Because it says that after the thousand years, Satan is released. And he has many that fought. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how hard is the human heart that they would then follow after Satan in all of this? And so they follow along. And, and, and then as they follow along, they realize that what they're going to is what they call the great white throne of judgment. Now, I want you to see this verse. I pointed this out on Thursday night, and I want to point this out now because this is a great thing for those. There they are standing. You can, you, can, you can imagine they're standing in line. They're ready to see that one who sits upon that throne. And that one who sits upon the throne, he is so powerful. He is so awesome that the worlds and the heavens flee away from him. So this is the picture. You're standing there. You're ready to be judged. You know your name is not written in the book of life. You know you're going to be judged in accordance with your works and they're going to damn you to hell. They're going to, they're going to completely crush you in judgment and, and off to the side. This, that, look, at, look, look at this verse. Look at verse number 11 to 20. 2011. I never saw this before, but I saw it recently. It says this, And I saw a great right throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens Fled away, And so as you're standing in line and you've, you've been a rebel all your life and you will not accept the Lord Jesus Christ, your, your heart is hardened. You're going to realize, I blew it. I blew it. Because you're going to look at that one who's sitting on that throne and you're going to recognize this indeed is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I think that's where that verse comes in. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I blew it. And at the same time, all that you put your faith and trust in, I want you to see this. Everything you put your faith and trust in, off your shoulder, just over your shoulder, you're going to look back and it's going to go boom. In whose presence the earth and the heavens fled away. So all that they put their faith in, this world, <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. We can stand against the God of heaven. We... You're going to see it vanish. You know, they say that, that all, all of our earth is made out of atoms. And the big mystery is that within the nucleus of an atom, you have protons. Those protons within the nucleus are all positively charged. And yet we take magnets outside of our atoms and we, and we have a negative charge, we have a positive charge, and boom, they slap together. But when we have a positive charge and a positive charge, what do they do? You can't get them together. So they, 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 scratch, they scratch their head. And I've, I should have written down what they explain that as. Whoa, it is so lame. They have no answers. They have no answers. We have hydrogen bombs. And that's where you take two atoms and you fuse them together. That's fusion. We have atom bombs. That's where you take an atom and you cut it and split it. 
That's vision. But I want you to recognize something. It's all God's. All we can do is alter it. And when we begin to alter it, we toy with the idea of destroying our own world. There is enough hydrogen bomb between the five countries that have them to destroy the world six times. Six times. And you say, oh my, how smart men are. Oh, are they? Did they make the atom? No. God makes the atom. And God makes that nucleus hold together. And when they see that throne and the Lord Jesus Christ on that throne, he is going to let go. In him all things consist or hold together. That's what it means. He is going to let go. And off their shoulder, as they're standing there at the great right throne, off their shoulder, they're going to see a boom. And all they put their hope and trust in. Gone in an instant. Our God reigns. He reigns. He reigns in heaven. He reigns on earth. He reigns all over. Oh, let me tell you, wait till you get to the eternal state. What a place that the Lord Jesus Christ has gone to prepare for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you are sovereignly in control. And your Son is carrying out your will in every matter possible, especially the matter of the redemption of mankind when He came and He willingly subjected Himself to the humiliation. He became the man of sorrows. And He died in order that we might never stand at your judgment. Oh, the judgment seat... Oh, that sounds so much better than the great white throne. That don't sound so good. Our Father, if anybody here has not put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are continually rejecting the gospel, oh, Father, that they just bend their heart, bend their knee, recognize that you're a sinner and that you are in desperate need of a Savior. Our Father, all have sinned, everyone in this room. None of us are goody two-shoes. We're all sinners in need of the Savior. Father, now we just pray that you'd bless the time that they have out on the beach, that the folk have out on the beach as we present the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. Amen.